You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. A wave of attacks against hospitals and infrastructure in the Czech Republic seems to have been largely unsuccessful, but more may be on their way. German relief funds earmarked for small businesses are looted by cyber crooks. Hoet Rat is active against ICS targets in Azerbaijan. CISA updates its guidance on the essential critical infrastructure workforce. Breaches at Cognizant, Aptoid, and Webkin's world. David DeFore from Webroot on AI and machine learning. Our guest, Kelly White of MasterCard's Risk Recon, shares how one of their healthcare customers is tracking COVID-19 infections. And more Zoom bombing. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, April 20th, 2020. Prague Airport authorities said Saturday that they had successfully stopped several attempted attacks on their networks. The airport told Reuters, quote, Attempted attacks on web pages of the airport were detected in preparatory phases that prevented their spreading and all further phases that could have followed and potentially harmed the company. End quote. Prague Airport, like most others, is operating a drastically reduced flight schedule, so the consequences of any intermediate disruption may have been low in any case. The attempt against the airport's networks is being mentioned by Politico and others in conjunction with last Thursday's warning by the Czech Republic's cybersecurity agency that sophisticated but unspecified actors were preparing a campaign against medical facilities, probably with a view to interfering with delivery of health care during the COVID-19 emergency. But any relationship to that potential campaign is unclear. Karlovy Vary Regional Medical Center did report Saturday that it had parried an attempted cyber attack and several other hospitals are said to have also undergone unsuccessful hacking attempts on Friday. Again, it's unclear whether these are part of the predicted campaign or whether they represent something closer to the ordinary background noise brought to prominence by a heightened state of alert. The signs of an impending cyber attack that could degrade healthcare delivery during the pandemic is in general being taken seriously. The U.S. State Department offered a strongly worded expression of support to the Czech Republic, and the Czech foreign minister tweeted his appreciation of this and other allied statements. He's also looking forward to finding out who's behind the incipient attacks. There does appear to be some sort of campaign in the offing, and Czech authorities think it's advanced at least to the battle space preparation phase. The German Land of Nordrhein-Westfalen has lost somewhere between 31.5 and 100 million euros, in misdirected emergency relief payments, ZDNet reports. Germany's Lendor are roughly equivalent to a U.S. state or a Canadian province, as the Lands Ministry for Economy, Innovation, Digitization and Energy prepared to distribute coronavirus relief checks last month. Criminals were already in the starting blocks, 
as newspaper Handelsblatt put it, ready with a convincingly spoofed version of the ministry's genuine relief application portal. They used this to harvest enough personal details of people who were struggling economically because of the pandemic to enable them to apply for relief on their behalf. Data were harvested for somewhere between 3,500 and 4,000 potential applicants, and relief payments were routed to the thieves' bank accounts. Nordrhein-Westfalen has halted payments until it can sort the mess out. Some media outlets in Germany think the extent of the fraud may in fact turn out to be greater than is presently known. Cisco's Talos unit reported late last week that it had discovered a threat actor, Poet Rat, so-called because of references to William Shakespeare in the code, and because Shakespeare, of course, was a poet, working against public and private targets in Azerbaijan. The campaign, for which no attribution has been offered, is particularly interested in industrial control systems. Organizations are using clever combinations of publicly available and privately held data, along with tools to combine, analyze, and visualize the effects of the coronavirus. I recently spoke with Kelly White, founder and CEO of Risk Recon, a MasterCard company, on how one healthcare insurance organization is tracking COVID-19 infections. We've seen events over the last few years in which organizations that actually have a blended approach to supply chain risk management, where they have all of the disciplines under one umbrella, are using data in very interesting ways to understand and manage through potential supply chain disruptions. Hmm. Now, as we look down at COVID-19, and this was going back, you know, several weeks ago, when it was just very, when COVID-19 was very early in its stages in the United States, one of our customers that operates a blended supply chain risk management team, they took the data from Johns Hopkins University's coronavirus data stream Mm -hmm. that provides the geolocation information down to the county level and laid that out on on a map. And then they took the risk recon data regarding where their suppliers' hosts are geolocated. And by laying the two on top of each other, they could see, well, do my suppliers have operations centers in areas of, you know, infectious disease risk. And so in terms of those organizations being able to plan their their risk, their, their appetite for risk or do their forward-looking planning, I mean, I, I imagine this overlaying these two bits of information, that, that can inform how they make decisions going forward. Yeah, so you, you look at the problem that, you know, they're facing and every organization's facing on the supply chain risk management side as well let's say they have 100 suppliers, and, uh, you know, how is this going to play out? Which ones do we need to pay attention to now? And how does that change going forward day by day? And so that they can triage, you know, they, they, they don't have the resources to address all of it at once, but if they identify some highly critical suppliers, you know, based on their business relationship and intersect that with, oh, wow, they're in a, a really high-risk area, that can give them some early insight and has given them early insight into, okay, well, we need to come up with, you know, alternative plans to shore up potential disruption here and there. And so through the data, by doing this, they've, they've been able to get an earlier head start in 
managing supply chain disruption risk. Yeah. Can you give us some insights in terms of, of being able to use the data from your platform and combine it with these other more open source types of data? How do you accomplish that level of uh, interoperability? How do you open up the data you're providing to, for these uh, clever uses? Yeah, so the data from sources that Risk Recon provides, of course, along with you know the Johns Hopkins coronavirus data stream or even the National Weather Service's data stream around natural disasters and so forth, these include geolocation attributes along with each data point. Mm. And so from our system, from the Johns Hopkins system, you can download this data and load it into Tableau, which has Tableau and other mapping software that has geolocation-aware capabilities to deal with latitude and longitude coordinates that are embedded in the data. And it makes it easy to create a visualization. It makes it easy to do some distance analysis, some distance math, for example, between, you know, a supplier's operation center and, you know, the touchdown point of a hurricane or, in this case, you know, where we see a strong uptick in coronavirus infections. That's Kelly White from Risk Recon. On Friday, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, released version 3.0 of its guidance on the essential critical infrastructure workforce. Among other tweaks, version 3 clears up some confusions over employees versus contractors, and it adds language emphasizing the importance of IT workers. Bleeping Computer reports that the major IT services provider Cognizant was hit by a maze ransomware attack on Friday. The company is working to contain the damage and restore normal operations. Maze now routinely steals data to give it additional leverage over its victims, and this can be expected to be the case with the Cognizant attack. Bleeping Computer says the Maze gang denied involvement, but Cognizant has said publicly that the malware used against it was Maze. Forbes reports that the large third-party Android app store Aptoid has been breached, According to ZDNet, the hacker who released what appeared to be 20 million user records claims to have another 19 million more in reserve. Aptoid says it's investigating and that it's taken steps to contain any breach. Webkin's World, an online game that toymaker Gans maintains as an adjunct to its line of plush toys, was hacked earlier this month. ZDNet has confirmed that the data leaked are usernames and encrypted passwords for some 23 million users. The attackers are believed to have gained unauthorized access to the data by exploiting an SQL injection vulnerability in one of Webkin's world's web forms. And finally, Zoom bombing remains a thing. The Indiana Election Commission had an online meeting disrupted Friday by saucy video of someone spending a little time with themselves. One hopes that this form of dim-witted digital vandalism the content most often used is curiously described as adult, will soon be thwarted by improvements to Zoom's platform and more operator familiarity with the telework tool. So if you're curious for details, the Indianapolis Star has the skinny. It seems that Zoom may have been more laggard than suspected in clearing up security problems before its explosive growth during the period of social distancing. The New York Times reports that Dropbox found numerous security and privacy problems with Zoom, and push the telework service to fix them, but with indifferent results.
Nonetheless, telework services have become essential to the remote work that businesses are attempting as they seek to work through the conditions governments are imposing during the pandemic emergency. This dependency has drawn criminals to telework as fish bait. Proofpoint over the weekend described ways in which cybercriminals are using various come-ons in their attempts to harvest credentials for services like Zoom and Cisco WebEx. These attempts are social engineering. They're not exploiting vulnerabilities in the platforms themselves. They're just conning people into oversharing. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by David DeFore. He's the Vice President of Cybersecurity and Engineering at Webroot. Uh, David, always great to have you back. Um, you all recently uh, did some surveying and got some insights when it comes to some attitudes about artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, you gathered up some interesting insights here. What can you share with us? Well, yeah, I think, you know, David, a few years back, AI, ML were all the rage. Uh, still pretty mm -hmm. prevalent. People talk about it. It, it. It's the future. But I think there was a spike in the hype. But believe it or not, we're still seeing a lot of folks using it in different mm -hmm. ways and at, at varying levels of success. Right. At Webroot, we've been using it since, you know, the later 2000s, we started implementing ML specifically around 2008, 2009. So it's really near and dear to our heart and we feel pretty good about the way we do it. But we found 96% of cybersecurity programs 
claim to use AI and ML in some form. And, and, you know, they probably are doing it. They've probably used some type of packaged solution that, that is doing it. And the question becomes how, how valuable is it, things of that nature. Right. So uh, on top of that, as we talk to, to people who buy it, uh, 54% of people who are buying products feel like the vendors are just saying they're using it and they don't really know why, um, why they're using it or how it's helping them. So it's, so it's an interesting dynamic that, uh, you know, people are saying they're using it, it's in the tools, but people don't really know what it's doing for them. And what's ironic is those same vendors, 94% of them want to know that there's AI and ML in there. But again, 54% of them don't know why they want to know it's in there. It just makes them feel good, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't even know, you know, how that correlates to anything else I've ever heard where where almost 100% of people want something in something, but half of them don't know why they want it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like uh, the marketing folks have succeeded in in generating desire for this thing. We We know from the messaging that it's probably a good thing, certainly not a bad thing, right? What's the downside, right? We might as well have it. Well, and, and I think that's that's the great point and is what is the downside? And I think a lot of times, if, if just like anything, you know, buyer beware, if, if you think all AI or all ML is created the same, um, you're going to be sorely mistaken. And so what is it doing for you? And, and I would actually, again, being very, very pro AI, pro ML, I, I love this stuff um, to have a team here working for me. And, we, and we've been doing it for over a decade now. I really, truly say to people, why do you care if it has AI or ML in it? And, you know, mm-hmm. I even, I talk to the salespeople, I'll talk to partners, I'll even talk to customers and they're like, well, it just makes me feel better to know technologically you're advanced enough to have it in there. And I said, well, mm-hmm. let's say you had three products uh, and you compared them all and you didn't know if they had AI or ML, you thought they all did. Wouldn't you buy the product that's protecting you the best? And so I say to people, don't evaluate a product based on what they say is in it. Buy a product based on how it's performing in your specific environment. Because one solution might perform better for you. And then, you, uh, you, you know, your, your buddy in a different industry, a different solution might perform better for them. It, it's, they're really unique circumstances. Focus more on what it's doing for you and, and how well it's protecting you and not what it, it says on the box. So that sounds simple, David, but, but we're falling away from that. Do you find it, uh, for example, trade shows, do people, when they come up and they're asking you about products, are when it comes to AI and ML, are the questions that they're asking, are there, are there folks coming up and, and asking really in-depth, uh, um, informed questions about this stuff these days? They are not. You know, um, truly, it stops at the level of, you know, what, do you have AI and, oh, how do you use it? Oh, you use it to scan for files. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, you use it to look for threats. You know, that's easy to say. I could, seriously, David, all joking aside, we could spend an hour in a webinar, download uh, a productized AI tool and stand up a model inside of an hour and say, hey, we now have a product that does AI. And people don't understand what becomes specific. And, and this is fun when somebody comes up and they're like, are you using neural networks? Are you doing deep learning? Are you using TensorFlow? You know, you can tell by the level of questioning and, and we're just not seeing it that deep. People really are hung up on, are you using AI and ML and how in terms of for file scanning, for scanning for phishing sites, but they're not digging underneath of what that really means in terms of, of the technology. Hmm. All right. Interesting insights. David DeFore, thanks for joining us. Great being here as always, David.
And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.